Well, glory to God. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. We'll, we'll, we'll launch from there in just a few minutes. Um, I just want to give you this one word tonight, fundamentals, fundamentals. Um, for you college football fanatics or professional football or as we get into the NBA, whatever your sport or your hobby may be, it's amazing that even at a collegiate or an, a professional level, um, you can never get away from fundamentals. You will, you will listen to coaches say um, that we need to get back to fundamentals. I don't care if you're going to do, you know, you have a plan to do a, a reverse flea flicker and throw the touchdown. If you're in basketball, you know, behind the back, through the legs, somersault, slam dunk. If you cannot dribble the ball, you're never going to be able to show your skill. And so dribbling is a fundamental in, in basketball. Blocking is a fundamental in football. Even in the corporate world, you may have uh, phenomenal ideas uh, to help the company out with more profits. But if you can't do the fundamental of communicating the knowledge, it's not what you know, it's what the employees need to know to actually implement the strategy. So you could have the best strategy, but if you don't have the fundamentals, you're never going to get to where you need to be. In the kingdom of God, uh, I believe we need to make sure that we stay to the fundamentals in the kingdom of God. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to search out the deep things of God, and that's admirable, and we want to know more of God, but uh, we can get so super spiritual, uh, we can actually get flaky and get off. Uh, you can be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. If I'm at the checkout line at Walmart and I bust out in tongues, <laughs> that's going to edify nobody. That's not part of the fundamentals in the kingdom of God. All right? So fundamentals is really just the foundation or the basis of anything. It's, it's the foundation. It's essential. It's important uh, to the life we live and the results that we see in the kingdom of God. And thank God, you know, I'm honored to have the first service of this new year, 2018. 2018. Glory to God. And uh, so this is a year, you know, where people have come out of one year, we transition into the uh, next year, and people are reevaluating or evaluating uh, what did I do well in 2017? And maybe I need to get back to some basic fundamentals in 2018 to get where God wants me to be. Maybe I need to get back to some fundamentals as a goal, because a lot of people set goals coming into the new year, correct? Uh, they'll have new year resolutions, which means I'm resolved to do what I actually put on paper. If it's not on paper, then I would question if it's really a resolution. There's a fundamental in the kingdom of God that we find from the prophet Habakkuk in the second chapter of his book. He said, write the vision down. Write the vision down. So there's something powerful within the kingdom of God. This is a principle, a fundamental principle in the kingdom that what God puts in your heart, you need to write it down so you, that you can review it and evaluate, am I on the right direction or, uh, and where God wants me to be when you evaluate what's written down. A lot of people want to lose weight in the new year, right? So gym memberships increase. Well, there's a fundamental truth that, listen, you can go to the gym as much as you want, but if you keep on eating pizza and McDonald's 
and ice cream and cookies and french fries, guess what? You're not going to shed the weight. So there's fundamentals that we need to make sure that we're operating in within the kingdom of God. And I just want to charge you tonight. This is a, a fresh start, a new year. And what fundamentals do you need in your life to really allow God to utilize you within his kingdom this year? And I would challenge you, if you haven't written anything down, then there's a fundamental called prayer in the kingdom of God where you, you can go in your prayer closet and get the will of God and the plan of God. He will start revealing things to you on direction. He doesn't give you the whole plan at once, but he'll give you some pieces of the puzzle that you can start being faithful with. Because another fundamental in the kingdom of God is faithfulness. A lot of people may say, well, I want a promotion this year. Well, you're never going to get a promotion unless you're working in the fundamental principle of faithfulness. I was just reading Proverbs the other day. It said, a faithful man will abound with blessings. Not the most talented man, but a faithful man, a trustworthy man, a dependable man, somebody that shows up at work on time and gives their best effort and their best diligence to help that company out. You know, in the book of Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, and really when it comes to fundamentals, it's more about what you need than what you want. There's needs and wants. Do you know when you go to the grocery store uh, that the, the, the marketing people actually put uh, certain items at certain eye levels? Like candy bars? So your children, you know it's right at their eye level? Because they may want that candy bar, but a fundamental is they need some broccoli. Because all that high fructose corn syrup and no sustenance is not going to help them in their physical stature or development. Over in Colossians, though, the Apostle Paul, I'm going to go to the end of the chapter first, read a few verses, and then come back to the beginning, because he's really talking about fundamentals and what you need versus what you want. And verse number 16 in Colossians chapter 2, and I'll read verse, uh, through verse number 23, it says, So let no, uh, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. So people are talking about food, they're talking about drinks, they're talking about festivals, they're talking about new moons, they're talking about Sabbaths. But there's a fundamental thing called love in the kingdom of God. So they're seeking the supernatural apart from some fundamental truths. If you look for the spectacular, only in the extraordinary, you'll miss the supernatural. If you look for the spectacular only in the extraordinary, you'll miss the supernatural. And so these people are looking for the supernatural. He said, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance, the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up as fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ in the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with, perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. 
So at the church at Colossae, you know, we have Paul instructing the believers, be careful what you're seeking. We want to seek truth because only truth will set you free. Even if an angel, you know, we went to Bible school and Kenneth E. Hagin was the founder of that Bible school and uh, had some wonderful testimonies and experiences with God because he practiced love. He practiced faith. He practiced prayer. And, and sometimes he had some visitations from the Lord. But in those visitations, he would say, you're going to have to give me two or three scriptures to back that up. Because even the devil comes as an angel of light. And he used to warn us, don't seek visions because the devil will accommodate you. God will give you visions, but we're, we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. And visions may be a part of that, but I'm not looking to see something. If God wants to reveal it to me, then fine. But it still has to line up with multiple scriptures to let me know that it's actually his will and it's him that's communicating with me. He told a story one time of a couple missionary ladies that were so enamored uh, with listening to voices from the supernatural, they started listening to the wrong voices. And it got them off in their destiny and their journey with God. And the devil will accommodate people uh, that want to seek the supernatural apart from the word of God. Going back to the first part of that chapter in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, listen to what Paul says. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness, the steadfastness or the steadiness of your faith in Christ. We live in a microwave society. We want it and we want it now. This, this is a marathon, not a sprint when you're walking with the Lord. He that began a good work in you wants to complete it. You're in this for the long time, not just a good time. All right, so there's steadfastness that needs to be a fundamental in your life. It's great that you're serving God now. What do you look like five years from now, 10 years from now? Are you more passionate? Are you more in love? Do you know more about him? So there's steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As, there, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it, with thanksgiving. Beware, beware, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and power. So there's a fundamental in the kingdom of God that we need to be in him. We need to be grounded in him. We need to be stead fast in him. Bible reading is another fundamental in the kingdom of God. I was blessed. You know, we just came off of a sabbatical, my wife and I, in December, and I, I went to uh, get the Bible reading plan from guest relations, and they were completely out. So it was great to know that, uh, you know, people came into this year desiring and wanting to read the Word of God, but it takes steadfastness don't get behind this year, right? Reading the Bible. Don't get stuck in the Old Testament. Right? 
But Bible reading is a fundamental within the kingdom of God. Giving is a fundamental in the kingdom of God. Your private life is more powerful than your public performance in the kingdom of God. It does me no good to stand up behind this podium and and minister to you from the, the holy written word if I'm not fundamentally walking this out with my wife and my two girls that are entrusted to me. And we don't own what we possess. I don't own my wife. I'm just a steward of the marriage covenant. I don't own my daughters. They belong to God. I just do my role, and I'm faithful in that fundamental practice. And so it's no good to perform publicly, but to have everything fall apart privately. God puts a greater premium on the private side of life, and then he will exalt you publicly. In 2 Timothy 2.2, the Bible says to commit to faithful men who will be able. Don't commit to able men who will be faithful. God will add the ability if you show yourself faithful, trustworthy. But another, another fundamental, which I've already mentioned, and I just want to pick up a story uh, in the Bible, and I really want to key in on it, is, is prayer. Position yourself in prayer. And uh, since all of you desire, or most of you, I'm sure quite a few of you, uh, want to read the Bible this year, uh, I'm going to read huge portions of it tonight. I was thinking, uh, can they handle me reading, which I know you can, about four chapters, you know? And I'm not talking Psalms, four verses. I'm talking the nice ones with, you know, 50 to 60 verses in it. And just sort of exegete the scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, and just trust the Holy Ghost uh, to key in on points uh, as needed. But this is what I believe we need to cover tonight. So uh, we're going to start off in Luke chapter 9. I thought, you know, uh, it may be possible for you to actually, since we're all reading together these large quantities of the word tonight as we go over these four chapters, uh, you actually may be able to go in. If you notice this year's Bible reading, it's coupled together uh, with many different uh, Uh, parts of the Bible, like you're reading Psalms, Matthew, and Genesis at one time. So I thought, you know, we're going to read Luke 9 and 10 tonight, uh, so you can go to your Bible reading plan and find out what else is with it. And I'm helping you out with some days. (laughs) I'm helping you accomplish some goals in life, amen, by reading. So there's nothing greater I can give you than the Word of God. And so I want you to be attentive and listen. And before we dive in, I just want to re-challenge you. to make sure that you are setting goals this year. You know, there's six areas that I've uh, identified through some mentors, some books that I've read in your life that's going to help you. Uh, The first three completely do with who you are, which is spirit, soul, and body. And I think everybody needs goals uh, within that arena, spirit, soul, and body. All right, your spirit is the real you on the inside. And when you read the Word of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the Word of God. Faith, uh, the Word of God is faith food for your spirit. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. What are you going to do? And you'll see tonight in the store we're going to. What are you going to do with your mind this year? What are you going to do with your will this year? What are you going to do with your emotions this year? Are you going to let circumstances make you fall apart again? And then there's the body. You need to take care of this outer shell, too. And then the other three areas, uh, family, financially, uh, both on an ind- individual side, uh, maybe a, 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 
a job side or maybe you desire to start a business this year. Financially, what are those goals? And then socially, socially or relationally, one uh, person that, um, you know, at the ministry, I have everybody submit goals to me. And one of the individuals that uh, he came up to me recently and he said, I, I did my goals this year and I was actually excited about doing my goals because I know you have you, uh, us do these every year and I felt like I just didn't have to put something on paper this year to show you. I actually was excited about doing goals and one of the goals in the social relational area which really challenged me is he said, I want to win two people to Christ this year. And that, that's, I said, oh, I'm taking that, man. I'm taking that. I'm thinking, how many people can I invite to church this year? How many people do I want to see born again this year? I just thought about it in terms of fellowshipping with other people uh, in the body of Christ. But I thought, man, that's a good relational or social goal. So I just want to challenge you with that. Let's go ahead and dive in at Luke chapter 9 so you can follow along with me on your iPhone or in a real Bible. I'm just teasing. I should say a hard copy. Um, so let's, let's jump into it. I just want you to notice the life of Jesus. And how many of you know that Jesus never reacts, he responds? I just don't believe that Jesus just showed up somewhere. I believe that he was led by the Spirit of God. He knew exactly where he needed to be and what he needed to do. He, Jesus knew exactly where he needed to be and what he needed to do. He, li he lived a spirit led life in obedience to the will of the Father. So in Luke chapter 9, listen, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now there's movement in the kingdom of God. There's action in the kingdom of God. Faith requires action. If you really believe it, you would do it. So Jesus conferred upon them or gave them delegated authority to cure diseases and to overcome any demonic activity. The next verse, verse 2, it says he sent them, the 12, he sent them. That means they were on the move going to do something, to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staff nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, whatever house you enter, whatever house you enter, this is important for later in the story, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see Jesus." Now listen, he sent the 12 out, and then they come back, because there's a model in discipleship. There's a model in discipleship. You're being instructed tonight. You'll be instructed on Sunday. So guess what? Now it's your opportunity to go out. And then you can come back. We have what we call testimony services sometimes, where you come back, you report to Pastor or Pastor Marcy something that God did through you. 
So in verse number uh, 10, notice they went out, but they came back. All right, it's important to come back. Say, it's important to come back. Say, I'm coming back Sunday. And the apostles, when they had returned, told Jesus about all they had done. Then he took them and he went aside privately. So you're going to see a public and a private side of Jesus ebbing and flowing between public ministry and private discipleship and teaching. So he takes the 12 aside and they go to a place called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew where they went, they followed Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He received them. Jesus received them. What a powerful statement. When you come to Jesus, he's going to receive you. Because you have a heart to know him. You have a heart to want to follow him. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, the twelve came and said to Jesus, the twelve came and they told Jesus what's going to happen. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, instead of asking how are we going to do this, human reasoning comes in. And they said to Jesus, man, reading your Bible is fun. We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all the people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. Brings order. Order always precedes increase. If you want to see increase and God desires increase in your life this year, get stuff in order. Hezekiah was extended 15 years to his life on one fundamental truth. He got his house in order. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. Jesus blessed and, and broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples and, to set before the multitude. Listen, so they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of leftovers Fragments were taken up by them. We serve a God who is more than enough. Notice he just didn't give just enough food. They took, they took a Lunchable and turned it into, multiplied it so much that 12 baskets were left over. Now, I like this term in the Bible. It's mentioned 11 times in, in Luke chapter 9. It says it came to pass. It only comes to pass when you're moving in action with what God tells you to do. A parked car never has any motion. So when they were following the will of God, it comes to pass. Somebody asking, how come it hasn't come to pass? Well, maybe you've slowed down in your race. Maybe you've gotten a position where you're not really acting in faith on things. And, it ha and the, king, the new King James says it this way, and it happened. The King James version say it came to pass as Jesus was alone praying. So listen, we see Jesus moving. He went from Bethsaida. They went out to the desert place. The multitudes followed him. He fed the 5,000. Uh, uh, 5, now he left, and he went somewhere else by himself apart to pray. He wasn't in the same location as where the 5,000 were and the 12 apostles. And it said that his, his disciples joined him. And listen, he asked them, saying, 
Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. Some say John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others say uh, that you're one of the old prophets that has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? What a personal question from a personal God. Who do you say that Jesus is? Not what you've heard about him, but he wants to know you on a personal level, and he wants you to know him on a personal level. One answered Peter. He said, you're the Christ of God. We know another, another gospel account that Jesus blessed him for getting the answer right. Then he strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So he's still instructing and imparting in private, and he's still performing miracles in public. You just see the ebbs and flows of daily ministry with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we go on to verse number 23. Then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's action. Follow me. Daily, follow me. Daily, follow me. It doesn't matter if you're born again in 1981. What do you do in January the 3rd, 2018 to follow him? Daily. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world, but he himself is destroyed or brought low? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his, fa and in his fathers and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass, about eight days after this saying, he said there's going to be some standing there that are going to see the kingdom of God. About eight days later, it came to pass that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to a mountain to pray. Notice a fundamental principle in Jesus' life was to do public ministry, but to depart and pray privately. And if you're going to be successful in business, if you're going to be successful in whatever endeavor God calls you to do, you're going to have to have public ministry, but private devotion. And really, your public ministry is going to go no higher or be no greater than your private devotion. And so Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. What a sight to behold. Could you imagine the three? There was 12 apostles, but only three of them went up on the mountain. And they watched the appearance of his clothes change and become white. And behold, then he watched two men talk with him. So the, these three apostles watched two people talking with him who was Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. What a, can you imagine being on this mountain and seeing this take place? Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, I like Peter's personalities and master it's good for us to be here and he said if you want us to we can make three tabernacles one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah not knowing what he said 
Have you ever been there in a conversation you didn't really know what you, to say, so you just had filler? <laughs> While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were uh, fearful when they entered the cloud. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Uh, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days of the things they had seen. Now it happened, or it came to pass on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. You will get burnt out in life if you don't have private devotion. Because if you're seeking the kingdom of God, God, uh, the Bible says those that humble themselves, God will exalt. If you're faithful a little, God will make you faithful with much. So he will advance you in life and increase you and give you a platform and people will seek you out in life, but you'll get burned out and drained out if multitudes come to seek you and you're not spending time with the king. Because the multitudes came to find him after he came down from a mountain. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son. He's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and suddenly he cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty. It bruises him. I begged or implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, now Jesus commanded the apostles to heal diseases, to have dominion over demons. So is it, is it Jesus' fault that the disciples weren't exercising their authority? Let's see how Jesus responds. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into you, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men but they did not understand the saying. It was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. The Bible says the righteous come boldly to the throne of grace. You should never be afraid to approach God. Then a dispute. This is so funny because a dispute, after they were afraid to ask him a question about his decease, a dispute among, uh, uh, arose among the disciples who would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. Whoever receives this child receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For who is least among you will be the greatest. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him. He that is for us is not against us. And then it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him. His face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw that the village did not receive him, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven? Can you imagine being in Jesus' shoes? He's constantly 
in his mercy and his love and his truth. He's constantly correcting and, and redirecting them. The, nest, the message I really want to title tonight was called Chill Out. Rest, refuel, and direction. Chill out. Rest, refuel, and direction. Chill out. I mean, these guys were not chill. They wanted to call fire down from heaven. When really they should ask Jesus, what should we do in this situation? Jesus' mercy said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, it happened as they journeyed. They journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And he said, foxes have holes, birds uh, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and, and, and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now we get into chapter 10. Listen, he starts with 12. Now, verse number one, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So we see movement. We see in this next verse, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Go, go your way. Behold, I send you as lambs among wolves, Carry another, um, he's really communicating the same thing he told the 12, what not to take. And what happens if somebody doesn't receive you? And what happens if somebody does receive you when you go? Jumping down to verse number 17, it said, The 70, after Jesus sent them out, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, he didn't even, he didn't even say anything about the statement. He said, I saw... Satan, fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you uh, the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of them, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your name is written, your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord? Your name is written in heaven. You can rejoice tonight that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. You can rejoice on the way home, you can rejoice in the morning. If you have nothing else to rejoice about, rejoice that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You belong to him. So thankfulness, even Jesus in verse number 21, in this hour, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and wise and prudent. Uh, you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and to whom the Son wills to reveal. Then he turned to his disciples and privately said to them, Blessed are your eyes because the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and to hear what you hear. I'm going to jump to the end of Luke chapter 10 now. I just really want to set a context for you of the disciples and the increase and how Jesus interacted with the disciples, how he inter interacted in private, how he taught the uh, disciples in private, how he did public ministry 
And really, it's a model. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that we want to strive for daily in our life as a fundamental that we're living out. Now we get to the really the key story that I wanted to communicate tonight, and it's found starting in verse number 38. Now, it happened or it came to pass. Remember, Jesus always knew where he needed to be and what he needed to do. So this wasn't a coincidence or a happenstance. Jesus went to this village because there's two ladies that need to minister to. And remember, we see, and I really, you can see in Luke chapter 9, number 10, he said, whatever house you go into, if it receives you, go into it. If it doesn't receive you, then shake the dust off, forgive them. Don't hold grudges or offenses. That will slow down your spiritual progress and it will hinder your journey that God has for you. The number one tool and tactic that the devil has in life is to get you offended. You cannot mold dry clay. An offense will harden you. Offense will harden you. It will warp your perception and get you off the journey that God has for you. So Jesus knew he needed to be at this village. It said, now it happened as they went, he entered a certain village and a certain woman. So this was a certain village we went to and there was a certain woman he had to cross paths with in this village. And her name was Martha. Listen, she received him. She received him into her house. Jesus said, whoever receives you in the house, stay there till you depart from that city. Now, it's interesting because Martha, her name literally means she was rebellious. She was rebellious is what her name means. It was probably of Aramaic origin, which means mistress. The 1828 Webster's Dictionary defines mistress as a woman who governs, has possessions or sovereignty. So this was a lady of means. This was a lady that was independent. You know, she, she may have been the head of the feminist movement in that town. The Bible's unclear. It doesn't say. But literally, when you're rebellious towards something, you have an open and avowed renunciation of authority or government. And really wonder who you owe allegiance to. And she comes in contact with another authority, the highest authority, Jesus, the king of kings. And all of a sudden, this rebellious woman lets Jesus come into her house. This lady of means, this lady of possessions, this lady that's independent, lets Jesus come into her house. Now we read on in the story, verse 39 says this, but Martha, I'm sorry, verse 39 says, and she had a sister called who? Mary, Mary who also, now it's interesting, Mary, her name doesn't get any better because it means their rebellion. So her sister was rebellious and rubbed that rebelliousness off on her and it became their rebellion. So it was one rebellion with Martha, but it became their rebellion because when you get around the wrong company, you're going to have the wrong results. In Corinthians chapter 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, bad company corrupts good character. And so it became their rebellion. But listen to Mary, what she did when they let Jesus come into the house. It says, she sat at Jesus' feet. She sat at Jesus' feet. 
which means she sat beside him or she placed herself near him. The term Jesus' feet is of, dis of disciples listening to their teacher's instructions are said to be at his feet. So this lady that was rebellious, you can start, start to see humility working in her life because she had the desire to start listening to what Jesus was saying. So she sat at his feet to listen to his instructions. Now listen, instructions means to teach, to inform the mind, to educate, to impart knowledge to one who is destitute of it. So obviously Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. If there's lack in your life, guess what? Jesus wants to meet that need. And here's a woman that outwardly had possessions, had means, had some type of rule, but she was broke on the inside. And so we see it's amazing how two people can be around Jesus and you get two different responses because we'll see Martha in just a second. But Mary's response was to sit at his feet and she heard his word. The word heard means she attended to what he was saying. She was considering, considering carefully. She was observing and gazing and fixed upon what was coming out of Jesus' mouth. 